1: banking services provided by Green Dot Bank, member FDIC. Only funds and envelopes earn APY. APY can change at any time.
2: Hi everyone, it's Wes Kosova. Here's a news update since this episode was recorded. The U.S. Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals has issued an order saying the abortion pill Mifepristone can stay on the market while legal arguments proceed through the courts. That overrules a lower federal court ruling in Texas that sought to stop sale of the pill. The Texas judge had set a Friday deadline. That now will not go into effect. However, the appeals court did agree with one part of the Texas ruling. It left in place that lower court's order that blocked changes the FDA has made in recent years to make mifepristone more easily available like allowing delivery of the drug by mail. Those restrictions on the pill from the Texas ruling may now go into effect while the case goes through the courts, so it may now become more difficult to get the pill. The Biden administration said that it will continue to challenge the court's decisions, and we get into all of this in this episode. From Bloomberg News and iHeartRadio, it's The Big Take. I'm Wes Kosova. Today, what's next in the right's push to outlaw abortion? The ruling by a federal judge in Texas that would invalidate the FDA's decades-old approval of the abortion pill Mifepristone is the latest example of how conservative activists are now seeking to block abortion, not just in individual states, but nationwide. Today, my Bloomberg colleagues, Kelsey Butler, Cynthia Coons, and Madeline Mecklenburg, who are covering this story, tell us where the case goes from here. And later in the show, Bloomberg's Greg Store explains why the Supreme Court's conservative majority, which will almost certainly weigh in, might actually side against blocking the abortion pill. Madeline, let's start with the ruling in Texas. There is this seven-day hold that the judge put on it saying that it wouldn't be enforced while the appeals process can get started. Where are we right now with that?
3: So the judge said that this ruling will go into effect on Friday. Almost immediately afterwards, the first available business day, the Department of Justice appealed that decision to the Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals in New Orleans. And they asked the judges there to issue an order blocking implementation of that ruling come Friday.
2: And what happens next?
3: Well, what happens next is all eyes are on the Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals in New Orleans, which is the next stop on this legal process for this lawsuit. We're waiting to see what they're going to do, whether they're going to issue this stay. If they don't, then on Friday, the FDA approval of mifepristone is going to be blocked across the country.
2: Cynthia, immediately after this ruling, we saw quite a big response. What are those arguing against this ruling doing now?
4: So basically for the companies that distribute the pill, the pill is distributed through online-only pharmacies. The FDA has had longstanding restrictions on the drug in place, so you can't get it at like a typical pharmacy on the street corner necessarily. But the online pharmacies that distribute the drug, basically their response to this has been continue to sell the drug while they wait to figure out what's happening next. There really isn't any reason for them to do anything differently because until the FDA decides to take action, the FDA themselves have to decide whether or not they're going to comply with the judge's order. So until the FDA takes action, there's nothing that the companies really need to do or change about their businesses while they wait for the next steps here.
2: And so if you are a person seeking to buy Mifepristone, you're able to get it right now.
4: Yep. You can either buy it, go through the typical channel where you might go to an abortion clinic and get it through a provider that way, or you can use their services that distribute it online, or you might be able to buy it in advance of needing it sometime in the future. So there has been a surge in demand from people who are interested in making sure that they you know, have it if they need it. But nothing has actually changed as a result of the ruling. It's really actually been if anything, a jolt to sort of pick up business in anticipation of something changing.
5: We've seen in recent months since the Supreme Court overturned Roe v. Wade, patients going to telehealth more and more in order to get abortion care. In April, before the Supreme Court decision, virtual care accounted for about 4% of all abortions in the U.S. By December, it was 11%. So it's really showing that trend upward in the wake of more restrictions, and the overturning of Roe v. Wade.
4: And also just some some context around that, too. I mean, you couldn't get the pill through telemedicine for much of the pill's life on the market. Uh, It wasn't, so it's almost probably been on the market for 20 years before you could get it through telehealth legally. The FDA themselves have always been very conservative about the administration of this drug, even though there's a lot of safety data showing that it's quite a safe drug and it can be used by someone self-administering an abortion at home. And so what happened during the pandemic was there actually were other lawsuits that led to the government deciding to loosen it up and allow the pill to be sent through the mail. It used to be that a woman had to actually go to a provider's office. And just when you think about that, it's, it's so unique in the practice of medicine. If you think about any medicine you've ever taken, when do you go to the doctor's office to pick it up? And for particularly for a drug that is widely within the medical community known to be safe. Outside of just people in reproductive health care, the American Medical Association has also come out and talked about the safety of this drug. And so this sort of pickup is building on some momentum that's been going on because of other lawsuits forcing the FDA to say, hey, this drug should be more accessible. So that's the sort of cross current in the background and probably what also led to this suit and what we're what we're seeing today is this sort of liberalization of the pill led to this kind of crescendo in this lawsuit.
2: Kelsey, states had been anticipating this ruling. What did they do while they were waiting to see what the court would decide in Texas?
5: What we've seen is states stockpiling mifepristone ahead of the ruling or in response to the ruling. Earlier this month, Washington's governor said that he had directed for the purchase of a three-year supply of mifepristone. Massachusetts also announced that it would be stockpiling 15,000 doses of the drug
3: California now among multiple states trying to stockpile as much of that abortion medication as it can. The goal, according to Governor Gavin Newsom, is to purchase as many as two million pills. It's really
5: unclear how these stockpiles are going to be handled. I've been reaching out to advocacy groups to find out if there's any type of precedent for what exactly could happen if mifepristone is no longer available. It's still kind of up in the air, as so many things are right now. But there is one um, situation that recently happened that could provide some type of roadmap or some type of game plan. Earlier this month, uh, the FDA pulled approval of another drug called McKenna, which is a preterm birth treatment. And when it did so, it did acknowledge that a limited supply of these drugs had already been distributed to doctors' offices, pharmacies, and acknowledged that some doctors might continue to prescribe or administer that remaining supply to patients. So I don't know that that will exactly happen, but it provides a possibility.
2: Cynthia, as you say, the FDA has been pretty conservative in dispensing mifepristone, yet the judge in Texas, Judge Kaczmarek, ruled the FDA had bowed to political pressure and ignored medical evidence that called into question the drug's safety. And that led to a backlash from doctors and medical researchers who say this drug has been proven over many years to be safe. What does the science say about mifepristone?
4: So Mifipristone has been on the market for 23 years now. It's widely considered to be safe and effective uh, when used properly in combination with another drug. It works 97% of the time, I believe it is, to induce an abortion. Um, Like any drug, it has side effects, but all drugs do. A large research study looking at women who'd taken this drug and tried to ascertain the incidence rate of them ending up in the ER showed that it was less likely to put a person into the ER as a common everyday drug like Tylenol. So it's widely considered to be safe. It's an effective drug. And it's really just come down to politics at this point.
2: Cynthia, you talked about the other drug that mifepristone is often paired with, which is misoprostol. Why have abortion opponents not also gone after that drug?
4: So misoprostol is actually a drug used for other things. Um, It's used to prevent stomach ulcers, and it's been on the market a lot longer. And its history is actually quite interesting. It was an abortion treatment itself. As the story goes, women in Brazil had seen on the packet the no pregnancy sign and started using it. And it actually did work for abortions. And so that has been around for a while, but it's actually just on the market for other things. It can be used for abortions, but it's much more effective in combination with mifipristone. And mifipristone is the only drug that's approved solely for termination of a pregnancy. So that's the one that's in target. And Misoprostol is going to, you know, stay on the market for, for the other things it's, it's approved for. But women will be able to turn to Misoprostol and, and use that as an abortion option if mifipristone taken off the market. It's just not as effective as a treatment.
2: And so if it is taken off the market, do you think that we'll continue to see mysoprostol used by itself?
4: Yeah, that's already happened and happening in some parts of the country. One of the first online pharmacy providers of Mifipristone started offering the drug, went through the steps to become a provider of Mifipristone because she had noticed a pickup in mysoprostol prescriptions in Texas after the ban on abortions after six weeks went into effect. And so basically what was happening there was she was seeing women were already doing this. Doctors were already offering this regimen. So there are places where this may already be happening. There are states with much stricter rules around use of the pill already that make it much harder to get even than what the FDA terms of the drug are at this point. And so mysoprostol will be an option for women. It's just not as effective as an option.
2: After the ruling, several executives at pharmaceutical companies wrote an open letter opposing it. What exactly did they say?
4: Executives from a lot of drug companies signed on to a letter calling out the decision and how dangerous it is for politics and lawsuits like this to question the way that the FDA operates what the drug companies want is a standardized system where things operate and work in a certain way. And with the FDA, that's always been the case. They have their own negotiations with the FDA, but the way that they conduct clinical trials, if it's getting called into question on a lawsuit-by-lawsuit basis, it makes it impossible for them to do the work that they do because the clinical trials they do cost billions of dollars. So I think what they were stepping up and saying here was about a lot more than just this drug and about abortion access. It's really about the idea that they don't want to be at the whim of what a judge's perspective is on a given treatment instead of the practice of science and the way they've been doing things for decades.
5: Jumping off that, we know that so much about healthcare has become politicized right now. And I know that you all have uh, talked on the show in the past about healthcare for trans uh, youth has also been part of the political and policy conversation going forward. What these drug companies are really saying is let's not open this door here to having judges make decisions that the FDA should. And obviously there's a a real self-interest there, but it's certainly an interesting take just given how much about healthcare right now has become politicized, especially when we talk about underrepresented groups.
2: Madeline, this question about whether federal judges can step in and essentially say, no, the FDA is wrong and invalidate their rulings is something new, isn't it?
3: Absolutely. This case is completely unprecedented. If that wasn't clear already from our conversation, there's a ton of questions about what the heck this means, what it means in practice, and what the implications are for this decision. This is the first time we've seen a federal judge come in and overturn FDA approval of a drug that they went through their own safety procedures to approve.
2: And this Texas ruling was further complicated by a ruling that came almost at exactly the same time from Washington State that said the opposite of what the judge in Texas said. How does that play into what happens next?
3: That's exactly right. It's incredibly confusing. I'll be the first one to tell you that. I think there's a lot of questions here. The case in Washington stems off of that idea that the FDA has been historically conservative when it comes to regulating this drug. That case was brought by a group of Democratic attorneys general who said that the FDA has too many regulations on this drug, and the judge in Washington agreed and said that the federal government should not take any steps at this point to limit access to mifepristone while he considers the larger arguments behind their case. That decision is the prevailing decision right now because the Texas ruling does not go into effect until April 14th. So as of right now, there are not conflicting rulings, but should the Fifth Circuit not stay this decision from Texas on Friday, both of these rulings will be in effect at the same time and they conflict and people aren't really exactly sure what that's going to look like if the Supreme Court does not step in and provide some clarity.
2: When we come back, why did the Texas judge say it's against the law to send abortion pills through the mail?
1: You know success when you see it. Or you think you do. The people in the spotlight. Athletes, actors, artists. But what about the people behind the scenes? You know, the ones who make it all happen. The lighting engineers, the sideline photographers, the caterers.
2: Kelsey, for a long time, anti-abortion advocates said that what they wanted was to allow each state to decide whether abortion should be legal. But what we're seeing now with this Texas ruling is something different, which is a push to make abortion legal at a federal level nationwide.
5: I think there's definitely questions right now and some conflicts on strategy when it comes to the anti-abortion side. I've been doing quite a bit of reporting on states that are somewhere kind of in the middle. We obviously have states in the camp that said we're going to become haven states. Patients can come to us, like in New York and California, saying that they will make sure that they're shoring up abortion access in their states. Obviously, we know that there's states like Texas where there's been near total bans. But then there's a lot of states in the middle where the political landscape is a little bit different. What we're seeing is conservative politicians try to find that spot that they feel they can satisfy their base while at the same time not generating a lot of backlash. We've seen this several times over since the Supreme Court overturned Roe that voters don't want total abortion bans. So now there's this kind of calculus being done about how far politicians can go with bans before they get that backlash. And it's 50 different states, so there's kind of 50 different answers.
3: I think that idea is what makes this case so interesting and significant. This ruling will have more of an effect nationwide on restricting abortion than the Dobbs decision will, which was this decision made by the Supreme Court that overturned Roe v. Wade and ended federal constitutional protections for abortion. It will limit access to a pill that's used in every state, even states where abortion is legal. This will have the ability and the practical effect of restricting abortion in states where it's legal by their laws. On the other side of that, when you're talking about the legal arguments here, there's a lot of eyes on the Supreme Court for if this decision comes to them. Because in the Dobbs decision, they said this is an issue that should be decided by the elected representatives. And yet here they are again being confronted with a case that would create national precedent based off of litigation through the courts, not through decisions made by local officials.
2: In addition to the question about whether the FDA improperly approved mifepristone, there is another argument in the Texas judge's ruling that has to do with this old and somewhat obscure law called the Comstock Act. Exactly what does that say?
3: The Comstock Act is a pretty broad federal statute from 150 years ago that prohibits the mailing of obscene materials through the mail. That includes pornography and it also includes articles to furnish an abortion. This statute has not been enforced in decades. The Department of Justice has said, we don't believe that this applies to mailing abortion pills. But abortion opponents have turned to this act ever since the federal government said that the pill could be distributed through the mail, arguing that it's still on the books and it prohibits the drug to be mailed. And Judge Kassmerich in Texas, he agreed in his order. He said that this act does prevent the federal government from allowing the drug to be sent through the mail. At this point, since his ruling blocks federal approval of Mifepristone, it's kind of a moot point whether or not it can be sent through the mail but it could have larger implications for other groups that are attempting to challenge the mail ban.
2: This broad ruling, which includes criticism of the way the drug was approved and also invoking this law, has brought up criticism that this ruling was looking for a reason to outlaw mifepristone.
3: That's exactly right. And I don't think that the conservative group behind the lawsuit is shying away from that fact. This lawsuit not only challenged the 2000 approval of mifepristone, but it challenged several subsequent decisions made by the Food and Drug Administration to expand access to the pill, and it also challenged their decision to allow it to be sent through the mail. They were trying any avenue they could to limit access to this drug because they believed that the FDA improperly approved it.
5: This is part of a concerted, organized, and long-standing anti-abortion effort. So we know that over the past five decades, U.S. states have passed more than a thousand laws that either restricted abortion or made it more difficult for clinics to operate. So it is part of a larger, organized, concerted effort to get to a total ban.
2: And Kelsey, because anti-abortion activists have been pressing in so many different directions, what is the next thing that you think is going to become part of this effort?
5: We can't minimize the seismic impact that mifepristone going away will have on patients in the U.S. More than half of abortions are done via pill in the country at this point. So it's certainly a really, really big one. Anytime we have any precedent to chip away at healthcare for women and pregnant people, we're talking about what comes next. A lot of times the abortion pill is used in the same conversation as emergency contraception, which is different. So we want to look for if there are going to be further attacks on birth control, which anti-abortion activists have hinted at and potentially started to lay the groundwork for.
3: I just wanted to add, the abortion pill is the next frontier in this fight over reproductive access. And this decision like thrusts us into that frontier. And I think it's important for us to be really clear that this decision that we're talking about from Judge Kaczmarek, it's the first significant decision in this lawsuit, but it is not the final ruling in this case. This is a preliminary injunction that he has issued. And that essentially is the guiding rules that will govern the United. States while he hears the case on the merits and makes an actual decision. So this is just the first legal step in this case. It will go back to Judge Kaczmarek before this issue is settled, and it's going to probably go back up through the Fifth Circuit and to the Supreme Court once again at that point.
2: Cynthia, Kelsey, Madeline, thanks so much for coming on the show.
3: Thanks for having us.
2: After the break, why the U.S. Supreme Court might be skeptical of the Texas ruling.
0: I'm Holly Robinson-Pete. Join us on The Visibility Gap, a new podcast presented by Cigna Healthcare. Download it wherever you get your podcasts.
2: As we've heard one way or another, the U.S. Supreme Court appears likely to get involved in this case over the abortion pill. But it's not at all certain that anti-abortion activists who brought the case will be pleased with what the court's conservative majority will have to say. Greg Store, Bloomberg's Supreme Court correspondent and friend of the Big Tag podcast, is covering the case. Greg, the Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals in New Orleans is the next stop for this case and is known to be a very conservative court. Is it a foregone conclusion that the court will back up the Texas Judge Kazmarek's ruling?
6: I wouldn't go quite that far, but certainly the challengers to Mifepristone start with that very big advantage, the the Fifth Circuit has you know, so many of the recent Supreme Court cases have come from the Fifth Circuit because conservative groups are filing and, and states are filing cases there, knowing they have a really, really good chance of winning there. And uh, you know, the fact that they filed in Judge Kasmarek's court, the fact that they know it's going to be appealed to the Fifth Circuit, uh, you know, uh, suggests they kind of have a home field advantage there.
2: If the Fifth Circuit. Does allow the Texas order to stand, then presumably the U.S. Justice Department will ask the Supreme Court to weigh in. What do you think they would say? One would expect there's a pretty good
6: chance the Supreme Court will at least issue an administrative stay, which means they're buying themselves a few more days uh, to decide whether to grant a longer term stay. Uh, and that longer term stay potentially would last. All the way through the appeals court process, meaning that this drug would not be affected until there's a final decision on the merits.
2: And so the court doesn't want to actually decide the case itself before it's gone through the lower courts completely.
6: I wouldn't think so. It certainly doesn't need to. That The normal course is that the Supreme Court wants to see both a federal district judge and a federal appeals court decide the matter before it even considers hearing it. That's the normal practice. We've seen the court deviate from that in a few recent cases. But that's usually when there's a, a really compelling circumstance where, where something is happening, like an election, for example, uh, that, that requires them to sort of push things along more quickly. Here, there, there's no reason why the court has to do that, all the more so because there's this other case out in Washington state that is, is, is percolating as well. Let that process play out. That may clarify exactly what the Supreme Court might need to decide.
2: And so, if it does end up with the Supreme Court, what do you think happens? How do they then weigh and measure both the Texas case and the Washington State case, which concluded exactly the opposite? Yeah, well, first,
6: keep in mind this is very, very different from a legal standpoint from the Dobbs versus Jackson case that overturned the constitutional right to abortion. This is a case about federal statutes, a case about federal administrative procedure and about some really technical doctrines like standing and whether you exhaust your administrative remedies before you go to court. So there's a lot of stuff going on there. The other thing I would say keep in mind is, you know, when the Supreme Court overruled the constitutional right to abortion, the court as a whole, and particularly Justice Kavanaugh, who's really a a key vote here, emphasized that what they were trying to do was— put this decision about abortion back in the hands of the people's representatives? Well, so here's a ruling where a judge, an unelected judge, as the Supreme Court justices would like to say, is overturning something that uh, an agency that that answers to the president has done and making something illegal, even in states where the, the, the people there say we want legal abortion. So that Cross current, I think, is going to create a very different dynamic for the Supreme Court here. And then you add on the fact that we're talking about second guessing an an expert agency on something that that a judge, you know, doesn't have an ex- any expertise on. That's the kind of thing that even the conservative justices have suggested they're, they're not willing to do. So it, it is by no means a sure thing that this conservative court is gonna back up this conservative judge. Now, you also asked about the, the the Washington case. That is an additional complication in there, no question about that. But the answer may still be for the Supreme Court that we disagree both with the judge in Texas and with the judge in Washington. This is something where judges don't really have a role.
2: And so in that case, what would they then say? If it comes as a
6: stay application, you could see them focusing on any of a number of issues. I mentioned this whole issue of standing these are anti-abortion groups that sued to challenge mifepristone and you know one one key question is how are they hurt by this what right do they have to go to court to to file suit against this so you could see the case being decided just on that ground that they don't have a right to be in court and then as i said there are some other very technical administrative law doctrines about you know whether you have to first go to the agency and try to get what you want
2: directly through the agency before you go
6: to court There are a lot of different ways the court could ultimately reverse this ruling.
2: One of the questions that's come up in a lot of the discussions since this decision in Texas is the idea that if a judge is able to overturn the FDA's decision about a drug in this case, that judges all over the country could be looking to overturn agency decisions just because someone complained to them about it
6: yeah that is certainly a concern that will be on the minds of of I think the conservative justices as well as the more liberal ones that uh, how, how do you draw a line here this is really an area where we all rely on expert at the fda and and at the drug companies for that matter and and uh, you know not something where judges have a whole lot of ability to say no i I, I can make a better decision on this stuff. And it, it, it's hard to know how to stop that. And and even some of the conservative justices in, in slightly different contexts have e- expressed a, a lot of reticence uh, about having judges get involved in this sort of thing.
2: There's yet another complicating factor is that the Texas decision didn't just say that the FDA had concluded wrongly about Preston, but had actually run afoul of another law called the Comstock Act. Can you talk about how that works?
6: It's a law that says you can't mail certain things, and it lists things, and it describes, like, obscene things and indecent things, and it it does mention things that can cause an abortion. But the understanding of that law for, really, a century has been that it outlaws things that can cause an illegal abortion if a drug is not being used illegally it's not covered by the comstock act and so you have this dynamic where the judge looked at the language of the law and there's a you know a non-laughable argument that the language of the law suggested bans the mailing of, of pills that can induce an abortion but that runs up against this long-held understanding of the law and so that's the hill that opponents are going to have to get over if they're going to win this case
2: and would the supreme court have to decide on each of these components in figuring out how to come down in this case
6: no they really only need to decide on one of these components so to go back to that concept of standing anti-abortion groups sued to challenge this law here it's not clear how these anti-abortion groups are injured by the fact that this drug is legal. Now, one of the things they say is, oh, it's not safe, and therefore women who who take this drug may overwhelm the health system and affect us because we, you know, some of our members are doctors and, and it will affect us. It's not clear that there's evidence that that has happened so far. So that is certainly an area where if the court, especially if they don't want to get into the substance of you know, whether the FDA has made a good decision here, they could take one of those procedural avenues to say this case never belonged in court in the first place.
2: As someone who covered the court for a long time, how do you think this ultimately turns out?
6: As I sit here, it's hard for me to to imagine there are five votes on this court to say it's okay for a federal judge to go in and second-guess an agency's long-held opinion that a drug is safe. That seems like a really high hurdle, even for this conservative court, to get over.
2: Do you think this is overturned and the abortion pill remains legal?
6: I think that is the most likely scenario as we sit here, whether the Supreme Court ends up being the one that has to do that, not sure about that.
2: Greg, always great talking to you. Thanks for being here. My pleasure. Thanks for listening to us here at The Big Take. It's a daily podcast from Bloomberg and iHeartRadio. For more shows from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen. And we'd love to hear from you. Email us questions or comments to bigtake at bloomberg.net. The supervising producer of The Big Take is Vicky Virgolina. Our senior producer is Katherine Fink. Our producers are Mo Barrow and Michael Folero. Hilda Garcia is our engineer. Our original music was composed by Leo Sidrin. I'm Wes Kosova. We'll be back tomorrow with another Big Take.